Hello, everyone. Doug Flutie here. Welcome to Flutie Flakes Cast. This is post Super Bowl 55. And of course, we're going to talk the legend that is Tom Brady, the game itself. We have a uh, Hall of Famer guest and Kurt Warner coming on and uh, opportunity to talk about some of the activities that went on throughout Super Bowl week. Uh, just an amazing game that Tom Brady shows you once again, he is the best ever. First off, though, off the top, uh, on a somber note, uh, head coach Marty Schottenheimer passed away. I had an opportunity to, to play for Marty. Marty also was a Buffalo Bill in the 60s. Had an opportunity to talk to him so many times. Love to look at the game from an X and O standpoint, but also a mental standpoint. He's more like an English teacher than a rah-rah head coach. I had the opportunity to play for him in San Diego. Loved every minute of it. His son, Brian, became the offensive coordinator. And uh, he had a unique way of looking at the game. Led many teams to playoffs. I believe 17 playoff berths. Uh, had a great career as a head coach, but even uh, more a special individual. So we will miss you, Marty. Uh, getting into the game, my thoughts on this past uh, Super Bowl 55, you just walk away saying, okay, that was number seven for Tom Brady. How close was he to winning 10? How close was he to having a 10-0 record? He threw for 500 yards against Philadelphia and lost it in the last seconds. Tyree's catch, Manningham's catch in the other game where both games where Eli Manning made plays that he doesn't usually make. One off a scramble to Tyree and the other down the sideline to Manningham that wind up winning the game for the Giants. Tom Brady could have been 10-0 and in Super Bowls. And this Super Bowl win for Tom Brady, you look at it and you say, he was the best of all time before this game. No, hands down. But people love to debate that fact. This game makes those people that wanted to debate that fact look stupid. I mean, it just – and it's not that he wowed you. It's not that you come away from the game and remember all the great plays Tom Brady made. Tom Brady did his thing. He was consistent. He puts his team in a position to move the football by checking pass protections, getting out of a run to a pass, a pass to a run, getting guys lined up, doing all the little things correct, wound up not turning the ball over at all, even though the one turnover, there was a penalty off the deflection, so that reversed the interception. It was just a methodical win. So much of what Tom Brady does is motivating the guys around him to play better, making the people around him better making them believe they're going to win. Just the fact that Tom Brady came to Tampa Bay made the players on this team believe they were going to have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. It's the same team they had last year, especially defensively. Offensively, you add in a couple of role players. But for the most part, it was just the belief that they were going to win. It was the belief that Tom Brady is going to find a way to win when things – it took a while for it to come together. There was no offseason. There were no preseason games. But as the season got on and they struggled a little bit in November, they started to gain momentum through December, win eight in a row to win it all. Uh, Tom Brady, so much of what he does is game planning. You look at the two touchdown passes, the, the first two touchdown passes, the one to Gronk. It was a, a game plan play. It was a play that was specific for that area of the field. And all of a sudden, you have a walk-in touchdown for Gronk. Nothing 
phenomenal about the play, sort of a semi-bootleg thing where, where Gronk releases late in the flat, and it's an easy walk-in touchdown. Antonio Brown's touchdown. He runs what appears to be a fake fade route. He sold the slant hard and then acted like he was running the fade, tried, fought hard for the outside release, and then just pivots inside and Tom sticks the ball in him. That is not a route tree route. That's not a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine. That's a made-up route that they decided to put in for this game plan. And those are the things that Tom Brady does. And you have to give credit to Byron uh, Leftwich. You see the relationship that built throughout the year between he and Tom. And it just, it amazes me that each week you put in these plays. And I was, I was a stickler for let's run the plays I know like the back of my hand. Maybe you add one or two of those in. Tom has a whole game plan of those every week of specific plays to face a specific defense in specific situations. And when they come up, they are walk-in touchdowns. They are layups. And, uh, you know, that I, I still go back to you walk away from this game not being wowed by what Tom Brady did. It was a methodical, uh, consistent game from beginning to end. Now, the other aspect of it, you know, the penalty flags, people from the Kansas City side saying the refs stole the game, there were this, there were that. Let the players decide the game. Well, you know, in my mind, the players do decide the game. When you decide to grab a receiver, you've decided to make that decision, and flag comes out. I love that the when the referees throw the flag for penalties that actually happen and not start backing off and letting it go. That's how the NBA playoffs become just a war of attrition and beating each other up. And that's how uh, games football gets sloppy because you start allowing more and more to go by. Uh, the other aspect of this game was whether or not Patrick Mahomes was fully healthy. How bad was the foot? How bad did that slow him down? How banged up was the offensive line and the pressure that Tampa Bay was able to get on Patrick Mahomes? And the bottom line there is that is a tremendous defense for Tampa Bay. And even when Tom Brady did not have his greatest games, it was the defense that carried them through and allowed them to win some of these playoff games as well. Um, the addition of a couple of role players in Gronk and Antonio Brown offensively uh, also brought this together. But it was an amazing effort. It was something that a second that Tom Brady signed in Tampa Bay, we all thought might happen. And lo and behold, it did happen. So hats off to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes podcast on the Sirius XM app or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. Coming up next, my guest, Kurt Warner, Hall of Fame quarterback. Hey, everybody, this is Fran Freshella, host of the podcast World of Basketball. Each week, we chat with the players, coaches, and executives who have helped grow the game of basketball around the world, like Toronto Raptors championship winning coach Nick Nurse. I, I always say this. I, I, I don't know why I picked this number, Fran, but I always say the X and O stuff's about 15% of the job. It really yeah. is. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. And here we are for the second podcast, uh, and our guest this week is Kurt Warner, Hall of Fame quarterback. He actually had the opportunity to work Westwood One Radio this week and do the Super Bowl. Uh, it was a big part of it. Obviously, NFL MVP a couple of times in the Super Bowl championship. And Kurt, uh, I guess you know the, the marvel of this whole year has been Tom Brady and 
the potential for Tampa Bay to get to a Super Bowl. What is your just big picture take of this whole season for Tom and, and the Super Bowl? You know, I mean, I think the big picture take is is really um, just the leadership that Tom brings. I mean, I think I go all the way back to when they first got together, um, you know, training camp, and just hearing people talk about how things are different and the standard is different and the way Tom goes about his job is different than we've ever had here. And so you could kind of feel it in the beginning. You know, we always talk about the ability to change a culture and and to lead and to change the standard, but you could hear it uh, at the beginning. And then you go all the way through the season, obviously, and, and all the success and then winning the championship. And the thing that I took away, you know, as I was covering the game and, and just watching all of the postseason, you know, and, and cameras were on Tom a lot. And then, you know, when they did the podium, it was fascinating to me that, you know, even the ownership when the Blazers got up there, you know, one of the things they said was, you know, their, their dad used to have a saying, if you want to go somewhere, then go get somebody that's been there uh, and, and learn how to get there from that guy. And he said, we went and got Tom. And then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Bruce Arians was talking and he was talking about how, yeah, we let Tom coach. We let Tom be Tom. Go out there and set the standard for us. And then, you know, almost to a player when they were asked about Tom, that was what they said is that he, he came in and he brought a belief in a leadership um, that was different. You know, that he texted everybody, you know, whenever that was the night before the game, a couple of nights before the game, hey, we will win. We will win this game. Believe that we are going to win. And so, you know, what's fascinating to me, Doug, as you know, there's a lot of great leaders out there. But I've been in some situations where there's a lot of people that don't think they need to be led, right? They, they think they have the talent or I know how to do this. Oh, you know, just kind of get out of my way and, and let me do it my way. And those teams are teams to me that you're kind of all over the place and um, they don't understand what they have. To me, what Tampa understood in, A, going out and getting Tom Brady is saying, hey, we got to have this guy because there's something different about him. And then you saw that, and everybody kind of stepped back and go, Tom, lead us. Like, yes, I own the team. Yes, I'm the head coach of the team. Yes, I'm the best player on the team. Tom, you show us. You show us how to do this thing. And that was the most fascinating thing to me because I've been in both situations where – you know, I've been given the opportunity to lead and bring people along and show the standard. And I've been in other places where and a lot of guys around me that really didn't want to be led, that they thought they had it. And it was just about a bunch of pieces putting together and, you know, we get a bunch of talented pieces together and we'll be successful. You know, that's not how it works. It's about leadership and it's about setting a tone. And it's about building a culture and about setting a standard on how we're going to do things. And that's what I take away really from Tom big picture, but more importantly, what I take away from Tom this year, because you could almost hear it to a man after they won the Super Bowl, those statements being made. And I just thought it was fascinating because you look at this team and I'm not surprised this team won the championship because they're really talented. I mean, they got talent everywhere. They're a really good team, but that's to me is the difference. There's a lot of talented teams out there but leadership is the key. And, you know, and what Tom did and what you heard people talk about what he did, that to me is the most impressive thing. And when he goes down at the end of the day is it's being, you know, maybe the greatest winner in our sport. Um, 
that to me is what separates him. You know, I think back to when we played, I played in his first Super Bowl, you know, 19 years ago. He threw for 145 yards in the game. You know, the other night, yeah, well, he threw for 200 and whatever, 210 yards. You know, it wasn't like it was this Tom Brady that just took over. and But it was he made the key plays when he needed to make them, right? He lets the guys on the sideline know, just, just follow me. Just watch. I'll show you. We'll make the right plays. I'll make the right plays. I'll put us in position. Just trust me. And that, to me, is what the overarching theme of Tom Brady's career, but of this season was for me. And, you know, it's just, you have to sit back and you just marvel uh, at his unique ability to, to lead people and set standards um, and consistently make that play, whatever it is, right? That play could be on the second drive of the game, or it could be against me that two minutes to go in the game, he's got to make the plays to, to set up the winning field goal. He just has a tendency to know, Hey, I'll make that play. As long as you guys are watching and following, I'll show you. Here it is. This is why we're going to win. And then everybody else kind of falls into place and runs around and does their thing. And you hold up another trophy. I laugh because I, I, I go back after the game and you're talking about the win. And defense, defense played great. Um, offensively, though, you sit there and you look at Tom and you say, what were the great plays he made in the game? You know, what was the phenomenal throw or the, the – it was methodical. It was consistency. It was game planning. I think a lot. Uh, the first touchdown to Gronk is a game plan play that just is a walk-in touchdown. Antonio Brown runs a fake slant fade, pivot back in. You know, certain plays, certain situations, nothing eye-popping, nothing, uh, you know, not that highlight real play that you're going to see 30 years from now that was, you know, Patrick, what could have been a Patrick Mahomes play where he was falling on side, throwing it on fourth down, it hits a receiver in the man. You know, there's none of that. It's just consistency. And along those lines, you know, you start to see less and less of the true drop back passer in the NFL. And it's all these flash and flare, the guys that I, I would love to play in the game today with the spread offenses and the, the quarterback runs and the RPOs and all that is – Tom, the last of a dying breed because of this, these offenses? I, I don't believe so. Now, he may be the la you know, one of the few that will build their offense around a guy that does that. Um, but here, I, I continue to believe this, Doug, is that if you can't play inside the pocket, it will be rare that you will find yourself competing for championships year after year after year. That you know, I, I, I still believe. And, you know, even a, a great example on Sunday, Patrick Mahomes, right? He needed to do more inside the pocket for them to have a chance in that game. And he got impatient or he took his, you know, 13, 14 step drop or he, or he takes off running and, 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 you know, doing all his whirly birds. It is tough at the NFL level to live in that world. And we've got you know, you know, I mean, we've got the greatest athletes playing quarterback that we've ever seen at our level. And we see wow plays every week from these guys. But go back and, and show me the guys that are doing that and are winning in the playoffs consistently by being a special quarterback athletically. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know who those guys are. And so 
But point being is that, yes, we're going to see more and more athletic quarterbacks, and we're going to see the Deshaun Watson, the Russell Wilsons, and all of those guys because, you know, who doesn't want to have their best athlete with the ball in their hands every play, right? But I'm a firm believer that when you play good teams, you will not win games over and over doing that. You will have to play the game the way – we played the game, and you were the same way, right? You could run around and make plays, but that's not how you won. That was the four or five plays a game that might separate us. That's the special that you could give us. You better give me the average every day, make the layups, make your plays, be able to win in that mode, or I just think it's going to be tough. And so, yeah, we'll see less and less of those guys, uh, but I still believe, and I'm waiting for these athletic quarterbacks. And again, I just, I use that term. I'm waiting for one of these guys to show me he can be the athlete, but he can also just play a game and win a game inside the pocket, 35 throws, carry you with his right arm and his decision-making, because that to me is what's separating them and why we're not seeing those guys, you know, play at this level, compete. You know, Patrick is, is, the perfect mix of both in most situations is that he plays really well in the pocket. He sees things. He's good at dealing the ball and making the layups. And then he gives you all this extra. Um, He didn't do that very well the other night, but normally he does that. And that's why you find him competing and playing at that level. We're waiting for the Lamar Jacksons and, you know, the Deshaun Watsons and those types of guys, Carson Wentz, another guy, not consistent enough in the pocket. So he's really good athletically. Josh Allen made some strides this year and why they were playing in the championship game is because he played in the pocket and it wasn't about all that extra stuff, but I'm waiting to see if any of those guys or which of those guys can get to that point, because I don't think they're going to be able to compete with Patrick Mahomes. I don't think they're going to be able to compete on that level unless they get to the point where they can win games for you inside the pocket. So it's a long answer to say, Yeah, we won't see as many of these guys probably because, you know, college football has changed and college is like, how soon can I get a quarterback to play? So let's make the offense simple and let's put in the best playmaker. That's a big part of it is that these guys are drafted high and they're brought in and they need to play right away because of the money involved in the situation. And they can be semi-successful right away because of their athleticism. They can do the RPO game and run and move around and do all that stuff. And I felt, you know, that there's a couple of questions that go down the line on that are longevity, playing the way they're playing, and the ability to get better, you know, in the pocket. I honestly felt all, you know, I was labeled as a scrambler and a runner because there's just four or five plays a game. I really felt I could throw from the pocket, that I went through my progressions, and I, and I tried hard to prove that. In fact, uh, my favorite Marty Schottenheimer moment is Marty has passed away. Uh, we were ta- I, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, he was a coach in San Diego for me. And Marty came in very doubtful of me as a quarterback. And it was day one. And I, took, I intentionally took my drops, got the ball out on time, hit some hots, hit this. And we're walking off the field. I, I think the ball didn't touch the ground that day. And I'm walking off the field and Marty walks over, wraps his arm around me and says, you do a lot of things right. <laughs> you know? And uh, so, you know, that's, and I, I firmly believe that is where you earn the, the ability to get on the field by knowing what you're doing, 
understanding protections, understanding hots, reads, blah, blah, blah. And then that other stuff is just such a bonus. You can learn to win that way. You know, that to me is, is the key, right? Is the question becomes, you know, when, when you play against good teams, they're going to take away what you do best. And so are you good enough at the other part to be able to survive or win or play at the highest level? Or, as you know, or I have to be so good at what I'm special at that I can say I can do this every game. You know, like if I'm a great runner and creator and ad-libber, you better be able to win every game like that because most teams aren't going to let you. And so they're going to force you into something else. And so like a Tom Brady, right, he's got one trick, but he's so good at that trick that I can win that way no matter what. If you're bringing pressure, I'll beat you with the pressure, right? If you're not, I'll pick you apart down the field. I, you know, I will find a way most times to beat you with what I'm really good at. So that's where it starts. If you can't, then you better be good enough at the other things to be successful. You know, and I think Russell Wilson, I think, is a classic example because he is a really, really good quarterback at our level. I mean, you know, one of the greats probably will be a Hall of Famer. He has not competed at the championship level outside of his second and third year. And in those two years, they were a great defensive team and they were a great running team. And it was Russell, give us four or five plays. Ever since it's been Russell, give us 15 or 20 plays, they have struggled because he, he doesn't play well enough in the pocket yet. As great as he is and as good as his stats are, he struggles there. And that's what happened in their playoff game this year. He was uncomfortable in the pocket. He was looking to get out of the pocket. He wasn't making the plays he was supposed to, and, and they lose. And so that's the kind of thing that I see when I look at this, this game. And I still say, you better be able to make your layups. You better know what you're seeing in the pocket. You better be able to take what a defense has given you. Because if you can't, I, I'm still, I still question in my mind if, you know, the great athlete or, or the ad-lib quarterback, you know, and Aaron Rodgers, I think, is another example. You know, for two or three years there, it was like he was trying to make a special play every time. Now, this year, he gets a system that helps him. The game becomes easier. He has to make two or three of those plays a year, and he throws 48 touchdowns and four. I mean, and then you're like, okay, now we have a chance to compete because Aaron can do all of that, and he's back to doing all of that. And so that's, to me, just how I, I see the game still to this day. Um, you better be able to do that, or I still think it will be a struggle for anybody matter how great of an athlete to compete year in and year out at that level. I totally agree. And the guy stepping in next year will be Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, I've seen back to his freshman year, he reads coverage. Uh, in his first national championship game, he found a backside post in a quarter's coverage that I don't think I would have gotten to. You know, I was sitting above watching the game. So I think he's going to have the ability to do that. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the penalties. People walked away from this game saying the refs won the game for them, uh, the flags that got thrown out. What was your interpretation of, of some of the, their calls? Well, I mean, first of all, let's just say Tampa dominated this football game. So the long uh, penalty uh, against Mike Evans, I thought that was two guys that got their feet, you know, kind of caught together and was incidental as much as anything. I understand why the flag could be thrown. So kind of get that. I didn't like the one against Tyron Matthew on the goal line because Tom was just throwing that away. I mean, the ball landed five yards out of the end zone, and, and I hate that. I hate if 
a quarterback's throwing it away. I don't really care what's happened. They shouldn't call a penalty. But I thought that was – Tyron Matthews said, I'm going to plant myself here at the goal line. And Mike Evans came, and they just kind of banged into each other. I, I didn't like that call um, there. Um, you know, but, but again, you know, I didn't like the other one because uh, on the tip play that got intercepted, I thought that, you know, the timing of that, the way it played out and the way it got tipped, I kind of thought that should have been one they let go to. And so, you know, there's a few calls that I, I understand why they called them. I thought they were close enough that they could have let some of those go. But still, at the end of the day, I say to myself, yeah, it might have kept it closer for a minute. But, but, you know, but Tampa Bay dominated this football game, especially in the trenches, that I don't think it matters, you know. And it's, you know, easy to, to look at that stuff. You know, I would, I would look more at, you know, things like, well, you know, Kansas City had a holding penalty on a punt that gave them a 34-yard difference. Um, and then they have a time where you line up offsides on a kick and you give Tom Brady – another opportunity you know it's things like that to me um you know that were the biggest problem in this game not as much that you know the, the close ones that you say oh they could have gone either way they made some bad decisions early and let tom have some opportunities and they got out in front and and then they just didn't play well enough to win you know my philosophy is a lot of people are going to say let let the players decide the game and penalties are part of the game but yeah, you know, they should eat the flag in those situations. This and, that. and there were some marginal calls. I agree, but my attitude on it is, you don't let penalties go. If it's a penalty, it's a penalty. If it's a penalty week one, if it's a penalty in preseason, it's a penalty in the Super Bowl. You throw the flag, and you live with it. I look back to the first Super Bowl I played against Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick, and it, it kind of goes to your point: is that I know that Bill Belichick came into that game and said, "Hold them, grab them, hit them." do whatever you can to these guys and slow them down and force the officials to get involved in this game. They don't want to get involved, right? They don't want to be the reason. They don't want to be the spotlight of a Super Bowl, and the league doesn't want that. And so Belichick just kind of came in and said, do it. And then if they start calling them, we'll back off and, and you know, we'll play. But this is our approach because we have to do this against this speed. And so I look back at that game and I, you know, I got pissed so often because I'm like, he's grabbing us. He's hitting us down the field. That should be a penalty. But it was genius from the standpoint that this is what we have to do. Let's challenge him. Let's see. And kind of to your point is you're right. If it's a penalty, it should be called every single time. And so I understand why those penalties were called. I just thought they were close enough that any one of them could have been, uh, you know, let's, let's eat the flag. Let's not take it here because that was incidental or this one was overthrown or that one got tipped, but I still can't look back at them and go, Oh, I don't understand why they threw that flag. You see the contact, you understand that part of it and you got to overcome it. And like I said, it was more about what Kansas city didn't do than trying to point at two or three plays on flags, but they were obviously a couple big flags in there. Uh, I was home in the new England area in the Boston area and my band was playing a Super Bowl party at a halftime and a pregame and a postgame. And I'm, hitting, I'm sitting there watching Kurt Warner and Tom Brady go at it and cheer. Obviously, I was cheering for the Patriots at the time. But, um, yeah, I was, I was playing the drums throughout that game while you're doing your thing. And, and the funny story that came out of that was we're playing during halftime. The song All Right Now by Free. There's a long guitar solo in the middle of it. Our lead singer walks off the stage with his cell phone because he gets a call from his girlfriend 
and they get in a fight in an argument. He couldn't hear. He goes into a closet and he forgets he's playing a gig. And so the guitar solo went about 15 minutes while we had to go knock on the door and get Sean back out on stage. Uh, what, what other fun moments, fun moments from the game you came away with? Uh, there was an extra person running around on the field or something? You know, over the years, Kevin Harlan is, uh, you know, is one of the best play-by-play guys that you'll, you'll ever find. And um, we've had a few of these situations. There was a game two or three years ago in San Francisco to open the season. It was a blowout game. And all of a sudden, a streaker comes running on the field. <laughs> and, and Kevin called it like, you know, like he had the ball. So it just became, you know, play-by-play of where he was running, the 40, the 30, the 20. Oh, the, you know, the, the security guys are coming out. They're chasing him. Oh, yeah. So that became kind of a thing, and it, and it blew up back then. And then I was at uh, a game with Kevin uh, in New York. I don't know if you remember that the Black Cat game. Yes. And so there was a Black Cat game, and so the Black Cat – you know, stuck on the field and, you know, he called the black cat like he was, uh, you know, like he was a player. And so we've had this happen a, a few times. And then in this game, you know, it got away from the Chiefs a little bit. So there wasn't a whole lot happening. And sure enough, here comes a guy, uh, wasn't necessarily streaking. He had some shorts on. He had kind of a, a onesie or, or something on too, kind of an interesting outfit. Uh, but he comes running on the field, of course, you know, the hands are up. And so, you know, Kevin jumped right into play-by-play mode uh, and called it out. So it, it's always fun, and those things live forever, and, and, you know, they live on social media. So people have been talking about it for the last couple of days. But uh, always fun moments uh, to kind of break up, you know, sometimes of these situations or, or the boredom of a game and getting out of control a little bit. And, uh, and you know, Kevin had a great call. So if you haven't heard it, you gotta, you got to go check it out because he does a great job with, uh, with those moments. Was there, uh, yeah, being Super Bowl with the pandemic and all that, uh, how, how did that change any routine for you this, this time around? Was there, was there still some fun moments throughout the week for you? Or? Um, no, it was, it was very limited because, you know, with COVID and really it was more the protocols, Doug, than anything. You know, being on TV and then having to go to the stadium, making it a big deal. Um, you know, the NFL and, and you know, whoever you, you, you cover for, They've really been stringent all year with testing, you know, quarantining yourself. Don't go out. Don't go to those situations. And, and of course, in this moment, that's the last thing you want, right? You don't want something to happen where all of a sudden I can't call the Super Bowl or I can't do our coverage in the stadium or whatever that is. So really this year it was, was pretty dead most of, uh, most of the week. And, um, you know, and on top of that, it was really more about, hey, come in, get your work done. Um, and then kind of go home. So uh, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, festivities going on. So it was mostly work for me. A lot of, you know, Radio Row this year was from my, my hotel room, Zoom call to Zoom call. Um, so, you know, you still have a presence there and you still connect with a lot of people. Uh, but it was just, it was, it was just completely different. Well, I've had the opportunity to go out and uh, play in your little flag football charity event. You still have the charity going. Uh, I want to touch on that. It's still going. You know, we, we weren't able to do um, the ultimate football experience last year because of COVID, and we're probably going to have to postpone this year. And so, you know, it was such a fun event. I mean, it, it, it's such a great time. You know, the unfortunate thing is as we go through COVID now, you, you kind of just sit back and go, okay, what will we be able to get back to? Like, will we ever be able to do this again and feel comfortable with it? And so for those listening, you know, it's basically a, a flag football tournament with guys like yourself, NFL greats being the all-time quarterback, 
for corporate teams. Um, you know, and so it, you know, it is such a great event. But um, that's kind of on hold right now. We are, we're still doing some of the work with the foundation, and then we've got our other foundation, our community living facility for young adults with disabilities. Um, you know, that, that that we're focusing on. But you know, things have changed. Things have changed in a lot of different ways. You know, trying to figure out fundraisers in the midst of COVID and, and what you're going to do to keep some of these things going. Uh, we've had to be innovative and creative. And, um, you know, we're hoping that one day in the near future, we can get back to some of those things, but um, not sure exactly when that will be. Yeah, we've been very fortunate with our foundation. We've done all virtual events and uh, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me the number of people that step up, the number of caring people. We actually did better this year than it last than the last couple of years with just virtual events. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so, it, it, you know, we find ways we got to continue to be innovative in the way we do things. Well, Kurt, uh, I thank you for coming on with me. Um, you're one of my favorites because I always had to struggle for my opportunities along the way. And I just admired the route that you wound up having to take um, bagging groceries, arena ball, getting an opportunity, winning Super Bowls and MVPs. Um, just an amazing story. And maybe you could touch on it too for a second before we leave. Uh, did that motivate you more? And do you think that's what motivates Tom being a later round draft choice? You know what, Doug? I don't ever re remember being motivated by anything other than wanting to be great at what I did. And believing that this is what I, you know, what God prepared me to do and he gave me the gifts to do it. And I just loved doing it. You know, there were times as I would go through the journey, I remember calling my wife and going, you know, when I would get back in training camp or I'd get a football in my hand again to go and just tell her, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I, I feel alive. I feel like I am who I am when I have a football in my hands. And so I don't ever remember, hey, I'm going to prove anybody wrong or, you know, oh, I worked in a grocery store, so now I want to win more, or I, I, I want to be out here. I don't ever remember any of that stuff. I don't ever remember having a chip on my shoulder. I was just grateful every time I got a football in my hands, and every time I did, I just wanted to be great at it, and, and I wanted to play, and I wanted to play as long as I could, and you just kind of get lost in between those lines, and, and I loved that. And so, yeah, it always seems like there's certain guys like Tom, sometimes Aaron, when, you know, this year with the draft that they always talk about that chip on their shoulder. I don't ever remember having that. I don't ever remember thinking I got to prove something. I just said, give me a ball, put me between the lines and let me play. And I'll show you that, that I was born to do this. And um, you know, you talked about the journey and it, it's funny because for so long, and I'm sure you were the same way for so long, I, you know, I would sit back and being a man of faith, I kind of look up at God and go, God, why me? You know what? why do I have to work in the grocery store and why do I got to sit on the bench and why can't I be the number one draft pick? And actually, you know, about three weeks ago now, Doug, they, they started shooting a movie on my life. That's going to be, you know, on the big screen. And it's amazing how your perspective changes over the years. And by the time my career was over and having played for two different teams and having taken the journey from the, the grocery store to, to the NFL, how many people have been impacted by that aspect of it? that it wasn't easy. And I've been where you are, not necessarily in the football realm, but I've gone through those struggles and you've given me hope and you've inspired me to keep going or to push them towards my dreams. And now to have, you know, a movie made, you know, now you kind of look back and you kind of go, God, why me? Why did you pick me for this journey? You know, the one of a kind, the unique journey that nobody else has. Um, and so I, I'm just so grateful 
for all of it now that I, I can step back from a perspective standpoint. And, you know, I, I don't know if I told somebody or I tweeted yesterday, but just like, yeah, there's times I wonder, man, if I would have had 20 years with one organization in the NFL, man, what could I have done? How many Super Bowls could I have played in? But, you know, it, it, very easy for me to step away from that and go, but I've got a story and a journey that no one else will ever have. You know, no one else will be able to, you know, will ever come the way that I came again or, you know, in that similar fashion. And I'm grateful for that. And I have perspective from that. And, and, and I like being able to share and impact people through the journey, as I know you have, you know, inspiring people to keep going. You're, you're too short or you can't do this or you can't play that way. You know, it's fun because there's more people that can connect to us than we'll ever be able to connect to Tom Brady, you know, or, or Peyton Man. You know, it's just, yeah, we admire it and it's awesome and it's great. But people can look at us and go, hey, I can be the next Doug Food. I can be the next Kurt Warner. And there's something really, really special about that, that, that I'm grateful for and I'm appreciative of and that, uh, you know, I want to be able to, to take and, and hopefully inspire the next generation to, uh, to chase their dream. It's an amazing story and I love your perspective on it. And thank you so much for joining me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Kurt. Anytime. Best to the family. Uh, best to you. And uh, I always enjoy cutting it up. So any other time you want to talk and talk ball, I'm, uh, I'm all in. I appreciate it. You got to teach me how to get this chip off of my shoulder. It's still sitting there. I'm still trying to prove myself. Hey, if it works for you, hey, let it work for you. I have no problem with that. <laughs> See you later, buddy. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann. I hope you've been enjoying my podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. Each week, I'm bringing you great interviews with some of the funniest, coolest, and most interesting people I know, like my uber-sexy friend, Tara Patrick. You know, my house is sold, and I remember my father telling me, you know, he said, you can always come back. Go. You've got to go. You've got to see what it looks like. Episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Tom Brady wins again. Tom Brady has won his seventh Super Bowl championship at 43 years old in his first season in Tampa Bay. And the way he says, which one, which, what's the best? The next one. The next one is the best one. And that's Tom's philosophy. So it, it was a fun Super Bowl week. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have a few events go on. One was a cornhole tournament that I had an opportunity to play and I played with uh, Mac Jones, quarterback from Alabama, Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner. Um, we all got paired up with pro cornhole players. I never knew there was such a thing, professional cornhole. ESPN, too. You name it, they were on it. So I think, yeah, sure, I'll do that. That sounds like fun. We'll go play cornhole. Well, I get a call from Matt Guy, who is my partner, my professional cornhole partner. And Matt says, hey, do you want to get together this weekend? You know, it's the weekend before Super Bowl and, and practice a little. And I'm like, oh, he's a little overzealous, but that's what I would be doing if I were him. I'd try to, I'm trying to win. So yeah, come on down. He brings a couple of boards and bags. We set up in my garage and we practice and we practice. We practice for three or four days. And he is so intense. This guy is a nine-time world champion at Cornhole. He and his son are partners and have won the world championship as partners for four, four years running. He could close his eye. They call it airmail when you send it straight into the hole. It's a lot easier to hit the front part of the board and let it slide up and drop in. He gets bored with that and does trick shots. He does everything. It's amazing. So anyway, we wind up going to the tournament. Mac Jones is an amazing guy. 
one of the nicest people I've ever met. Just so much fun to talk to. And it wound up that we got to the championship game. It was uh, Mac and I going head to head on our end. But I played well through the semifinal. We won that easily, 21 to nothing. And then we got to the final against Mac Jones. And Mac and I were pretty much pretty even. And I lost it for a couple of rounds. I, I, was, I missed the board. I, I was tripping all over myself. But I regained my composure. We wind up winning. And we take home a cornhole championship, which was – you know, that, that trophy is going to go, actually, it's a little mini cornhole board. It's going to go right next to the Heisman. So then I got to move on to my other fun event, and uh, that's my flag charity flag football game with Celebrity Sweat. It's for um, Wounded Warriors program and helping the military, and we had a blast with that. And during that, I had an opportunity to pin uh, the WWE title holder, R-Truth. So I wound up sneaking up behind him and pinning him, and I take over the belt. I take over the championship. I take over the title. I had the title for WWE. And then we're starting to warm up, getting ready to go back out for the second half. And he sneaks up behind me and slams me to the ground and pins me right back. It gets the title right back. And the belt actually swung around and hit me in the mouth. I got a busted lip, a busted nose. I'm walking out for the second half. I'm bleeding all over the place. Yeah, but this is what I do. This is fun. I'm 58 years old, acting like a 10-year-old. Had a chance to go to uh, Johnny Damon's golf tournament and also Big Poppy. Uh, David Ortiz had an amazing event over at uh, Top Golf. What was really cool for me, it was like a class reunion with a bunch of Boston area uh, athletes. So I still got my little taste of some of the Super Bowl stuff. Uh, one of the coolest moments, one of the coolest moments of the week, I walk over to say hi to Chris Kirkpatrick, one of the uh, one of the members of NSYNC because my daughter wanted to get a picture with him. And as I go over, there's this kind of taller, older individual standing behind him. He goes, oh my God, Doug, it was Bernie Kosar. I hadn't seen Bernie in the longest time. And Bernie was the Miami quarterback when I threw my Hail Mary down, at the, down in the Orange Bowl. And Bernie has been through some rough times and is back on his feet, looking great, lost some weight, was looking in shape and just uh, we were like a couple of kids at a class reunion talking for about 30, 40 minutes. We reconnected, exchanged phone numbers and, you know, getting back on the same page. He doesn't live too, too far away from me in Florida. So we're going to start getting together. And it, it was just a really, really cool moment for me to reconnect with Bernie because I know he's been through so much and, uh, really is on the up and up and on the way back on his feet and looks great. And uh, I had an opportunity to drive, uh, my, I got to call it a bat car cause it's a replica of the 1966 Batmobile. And, uh, I drove that around a little bit throughout the weekend and took it to a couple of events for, for charity events and had people taking pictures with it and whatnot. And even walked away from the David Ortiz event and it, it just couldn't be scripted any better off the silent auction, picked up an Adam West, Burt Ward autograph picture. So it was a fun all around week. Once again, remember to get your Flutie Flakes cast on the Sirius XM app or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. I'm Doug Flutie. We'll talk to you next week. Sirius XM Podcasts.